0: Welcome to Hallel Fellowship, found on the internet at Hallel.info, that's halle We hope you are encouraged by the following recorded Bible study to look deeper into every word that proceeds from the mouth of God, and how they were lived out in the life of Yeshua HaMashiach, often called Jesus the Christ. the Torah portion called uh, Shalak, which means send and it covers Numbers chapters 13 through 15. If you want to see some previous studies that we've done on this particular item take a look at uh, halal.info p37 halal.info slash p37 uh, One of the things to remember with this particular passage is that the context of it the forefathers from the Commonwealth of Israel they had to learn faith just like we learn faith and we've talked about this with the context of our Journey from the house of bondage the Basically our old way of life when we go from our old way of life to our new way of life It is the journey from Passover Passover to Shavuot from going from the land of bondage the land that is a place where we are held captive by our old way of life, and then we move into freedom. And a part of that journey is going through the Red Sea. And that Red Sea is what divides us from our old way of life. Now, those who are going through uh, a disconnect, a detox, you might say, of their old way of life, they learn that this Separation from the old way of life is hugely important for the new way of life. Because as we continue to see through this journey, through the wilderness, that the the journey, if it includes bringing the old way of life along with you, it will not succeed. The grumbling will follow you. The the old um, armies, the old... Opponents that you face will come with you and that will continually oppose you along the way. And as we see, that's why is such a harsh action that has to be taken against those who continue to grumble, continue to grumble along the way. And one of the things that we see and uh, the title of this is called Shalach, which means send is you see some uh, Daniel, do you have a comment?
1: there's a lot of things that pop up for people when they come across the old way of life, the the sense, the need of isolation is an important step that many people go through. So you, you've done a particular way of life. So I'm going to change and move forward. And it's the hardest part that I've met people with. They've talked about is the isolating themselves from their friends and their family of what their once life was. Um, and in this instance, when God brought him all of Egypt, all the people came together and brought all their stuff with them because they're all together still. I mean, unlike, for example, Moses, when he came out of Egypt alone, he was truly alone. And it worked because he was isolated from the influence of his past because there's no, no, no human there to remind him of what he once was. But when you grab an entire com- a congregation, the whole group of the, out of Egypt, all your friends came with you. All your hmm. past came with you as a group. You didn't really isolate because they're massed as a, a of they, they lived together. They were neighbors. They were friends. They were family in Egypt and their friends are family out of Egypt. Nothing really changed for them. It wasn't a true isolation that I've run across many people needing from their friends and their families. Okay, I, I need to not be part of that anymore for a period of time until I can restructure myself no offense to god not saying he did anything right or wrong just that it's like it, it was it was almost like it was designed to fail no. <laughs> They're coming through it was almost, it was set up to where they all stayed together there was no way they were going to succeed in at least i should say no way there was no way that that i've ever met anybody today at least would succeed in that type of environment where you brought all your friends and all your past and all your reminders with you in the process. It doesn't, it doesn't work well that way.
0: Mm. So I guess you could, you could say that the, the wilderness, the wilderness is kind of like the halfway house. as the Coming out, you know, when you, are, you used to have a program where it, when you would leave prison, you would have some sort of a halfway house. But uh, the... Time of the halfway house can either be a good thing or a bad thing. And very interesting that we can either look at the halfway house as a stricture, as something that's chaining us down, or we can see it as some way to grow. Way to actually get better and realize why it was that we were in bondage, imprisoned to begin with. So, one of the things that uh, we see also, and we've talked about this in, in previous years, and you can check out the, the studies we've done on that, about the parallels between the 10 spies and sending out the, the 12, the 12 apostles, the, the, the 12, the closest students of Yeshua, and also sending out the 70. So, you had 12 that are sent out, there is 70 that are sent out to the lost sheep of Israel throughout the land. Now, one of the things uh, that we are going to be taking a look at today is focusing specifically on a uh, section down in chapter 15. So in chapter 15, chapter 15 covers, you know, laws on the offerings. it covers the unintentional sins, covers the problem of is Doing sins with a high hand versus the unintentional sins. And it includes in there, uh, totally coincidentally, the aspect of the person who was found breaking Shabbat. And uh, what was is interesting that they note there that they put him into custody until it could be figured out what they would do to him. As you would see later on, that uh, Israel didn't specifically have a prison system, long-term housing of people over time, because you would either have one one type of punishment that would pretty much uh, end your existence, or you would go into another type of punishment, which you could say was uh, another type of corrections, which was the indentured servitude, where you basically would work off your sentence. But there wasn't a long-term holding space where people can stew around and you see accounts of having challenges with that here in the modern days of people who um, basically foster the um, problems with each other. It looks like Sean has a comment or a question over there.
1: Sounds like the mob boss kind of going on. Mob boss? What do you mean? <laughs> oh, no, it's like, uh, oh, I had it and it just went, never mind, never mind. <laughs>
0: so They're saying it's an offer you can't refuse or what? Yeah. Wow. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Hmm.
2: That's right. i <laughs> make an example out of you. Well, you would, you would hope
0: that the whole idea of uh, corrections, that people would actually uh, correct their behavior and not just continue down the, the same path they were headed before. And completely coincidentally, in the midst of chapter 15, is the topic of the tassels. So, what's up with the tassels? Otherwise known as tzitzit, a singular Tzitzitot for plural. And that is actually where we're going to focus the time today. And not on the specifics of it. Because a lot of people over a long period of time have talked a lot about that. But today we're going to focus on the why and the what of it. And one of the things you could say is that we get the example of the prophets and in the apostolic uh, scriptures about people grabbing on to them, grabbing on to these tzitzit, grabbing on to the kanaf, or the edges of the garment. And those aspects are seen as times of faith, of trust, wanting to trust in where, in in the case of the miracle that we'll be taking a look at here in a little bit, miracle that Yeshua did, or the woman who grabbed on, that was a sign of faith, that she was reaching out for the one who would come with healing in his wings, in his kanaf. And you see, in the other thing we'll take a look at today, an end times prophecy about the day of the Lord, where people be reaching out in desperation, looking for someone who has some answers, who has some hope in the midst of what seems like hopelessness. So, the section that we're taking a look at here is Numbers chapter 15, verses 37 through 41. So, specifically taking a look at the aspect of just the, the language first off, tassels translated from uh, tzitzitot, which is the Hebrew form of that. And when you find it in the Gospels and in the Septuagint, or the Greek translation of the Hebrew Scriptures, it's kraspedon. So, under the hood of when it talks about fringes and such, it's the Greek word kraspedon. Now, a couple of interesting aspects. Lots of people have riffed on this over thousands of years on what these things mean. Uh, some observations that uh, the um, medieval sage uh, Rashi brings up is a very interesting starting point because a number of uh, lexicographers have also. Uh, noted this as well as far as the range of meanings meanings for the word uh, tzitzi. And a couple of instances he noted as first off that uh, it relates to a bundle of threads that hang like a lock of hair. And he draws that from Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 3. Ezekiel chapter 8, verse 3. So keep a finger where we're at here in Numbers and Because we'll be back there in just a moment. So head on over to Ezekiel uh, chapter 8. So one of the, one of the fun things, i uh, been having a great Bible study with uh, some folk on the book of Ezekiel. Yeehaw! And uh, one thing that we've learned, it's not all about aliens, spaceships, and stuff that you get in chapter 1. Nothing of the sort. Um, One of the things that we see there in the book of Ezekiel and the timing of it is it's ticking down to disaster as to where his message was coming from. He comes from a family of uh, priests. And so dropping into the midst of these chapters here, these are amid some, uh, he's telling you could say these um, practical parables, these lived out parables and in the midst of this is chapter 8, which is one of these. So, chapter 8, starting in verse 1 here. It came about in the sixth year, the fifth day of the sixth month. I was sitting in my house with the elders of Yehuda sitting before me, that the hand of the Lord, uh, Lord God, fell on me there. And then I looked, and behold, the likeness of, as the appearance of a man. From his loins and downward there was the appearance of fire and from his loins and upward the appearance of brightness, like the appearance of glowing metal. He stretched out the form of a hand and caught me by the lock of my head. And the Spirit lifted me up from the earth and and heaven and brought me in the visions of God to Yerushalayim, to the entrance of the north gate of the inner court, there where sat uh, the seat of the idol of jealousy, which provokes the jealousy. Was located, And behold, the glory of the, of the God of Israel was there, like the appearance which I saw in the plain. And he said to me, Son of man, raise your eyes now toward the north. So I raised my eyes toward the north, and behold, to the north of the altar gates there was this idol of jealousy at the entrance. And he said to me, Son of man, do you see what they are doing? The great abominations which the house of Israel are committing here, so that I would be... Far from my sanctuary, but yet you will see still greater abominations. Then he brought me to the entrance of the court, and when I looked, behold, a hole in the wall. And he said to me, Son of man, now dig through the wall. So I dug through the wall, and behold, an entrance. And he said to me, Go in and see the wicked abominations that they are committing there. So I entered and looked, and behold, every form of creeping thing, and beasts and detestable things with all the idols of the house of Israel were carved on the wall all around. Standing in front of them were 70 elders of the house of Israel, with Ya'azaniah, the son of Shaphan, standing among them, each man with a censer in his hand, and the fragrance of the cloud of incense rising. Then he said to me, Son of man, do you see what the elders of the house of Israel are committing in the dark, each man in the room of his carved things? For they say, The Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land. And he said to me, Yet you will see a greater abominations that they are committing. Then he brought me to the entrance, the gate of the Lord's house, which was toward the north. And behold, women were sitting there weeping for Tammuz. And he said to me, Do you see this, son of man? You will see yet more abominations than these. And he brought me into the inner court of the Lord's house, and behold, the entrance of the temple of the Lord. Between the porch and the altar, there were twenty-five men with their backs to the temple of the Lord, and their faces toward the east, and they were prostrating themselves eastward toward the sun. And he said to me, Do you see this, son of man? Is it too light a thing for the house of Yehuda to commit abominations which they have committed here, that they have filled the land with violence and provoked me repeatedly? For behold, they are putting the twig to their nose. Therefore, I indeed will deal in wrath. My eye will have no pity, or, nor will I spare. And though they, they cry in my ears with a loud voice, yet I will not listen to them. The reason why not listening was specifically about what we read about earlier in the chapter. Now, if you get kind of the, the um, orientation of things here, when they were talking about that they had their backs, they had their backs to the temple of God, and they were facing east towards the sunrise. So you think about any sort of historical piece you ever see, whether you're talking about in uh, Middle Eastern culture, whether in Western culture, whether in
2: Eastern culture, what, how do you approach the king? Face... Always facing the king, you
0: never show your back to the king. Um, various cultures had different ways on how they how they handled the approach. But you know, one of the things that was very common in Eastern cultures is you walked in frontward and you went out, you backed up. And in uh, some cultures, you went in on your hands and knees and you went out on your hands and knees backwards. So the idea was that you would always be showing your face sometimes you wouldn't even look at the ruler because you were not worthy yet you never showed your back because the back was seen as a an affront to show someone's back yet here you have what the priests who are supposed to be doing what they're supposed to be serving being attentive to supposed to be bringing people toward the one whose house they were supposed to be serving yet What were they actually doing they had their backs to the one that they were supposed to be serving and their face was toward the sunrise was toward the deity elsewhere and
1: yes but as the vision began he started out he had to go through a hole in the walls the (laughs) entire point is that to see all this you wouldn't, you had to go on the inside to see it. The whole symbol, because you couldn't go through the main door because you would see them doing things correctly. Going through the hole in the wall where no one would think you would come in. And you walk, You get the whole watch, what's, what's basically what's inside the person as opposed to what's outside. Because if Ezekiel's hanging out with all the elders in his house or wherever he's living, and if this happened, he is, all these people he's looking at, these the people that God's saying... They're scum on the inside, (laughs) essentially. Yeah.
0: All right. And the key aspect here as to where we started our journey toward this passage here in Ezekiel is in verse 3, Ezekiel 8, verse 3. And it uh, mentions here that he stretched out the form of a hand caught me by lock of my head. So that lock there is... uh, uh, matzitz, which is a form of uh, tzitzi, so very few uses of that word throughout the throughout the Bible, and this is pretty much the other use of it. So you have it there. So, one tape a little bit. Uh, we had just a few weeks ago gone over in our uh, weekly Bible study there of uh, Ezekiel chapter five, and Ezekiel chapter five starts out with the first verses of a. Uh, one of these practical uh, prophecies that Ezekiel was ordered to perform, and one of which was to take a sharpened sword and to p- give himself a haircut. So you talk about a razor cut. Yeah, try doing that with a sword, a sharpened sword. Yeah, whip out your katana and start uh, doing your own haircut and your own shave your beard. So, whew, uh, yeah, either hope that you didn't sharpen it or hope that it's really sharp and you know what you're doing. Because otherwise it could be bad. But the idea was to cut the hair off, cut the hair off the head, cut the hair off the beard. And so, just stopping there for a moment with the Ezekiel chapter 5 and that prophecy.
2: What are the two things about cutting off the hair? There's two aspects of it that you see in scripture. Nazareth, okay, that's one. What's the other one? What was that? And? Samson. Oh, yes. Yeah, so for strength. Okay. So that's re- re- related to the Nazir.
0: But interestingly enough, kind of related to the Samson and the Nazir is the other side of it. Remember when um, you know, <laughs> David and his servants? Yes. Shaved off half of the beard. So that idea of shaving off the beard is because uh, if you ever seen any uh, depictions of uh, Middle Eastern art and such in babylonia and in the the holy land and such beards big beards that uh, talk about fear of the beard yeah there are some pretty fearsome beards that you'd see in some of those uh the artwork of ancient mesopotamia and in the holy land that idea that is something that is markedly different than you see in the artwork from egypt because you see egypt they're all what clean shaven head and face and how did you know that they were coming from a Semitic area or Greece or something like that? Big beards. So fear the beard. So in this aspect that you have either something of honor or something of dishonor to have the head shaved. Now for the, Naz- for the Nazir, for the Nazirite vow, you know, you are coming to the end of your time there. So for that is kind of like it's offered up as a gift. So you think about all the offerings that you bring Bringing the hair as an offering, and one of the interesting aspects of that is could be thought in the in the context of Ezekiel chapter five is the hair being shame to lose it. You are like losing a sense of you are a man. This is what um, the illustration of what men are is to have the beard. So if you shave it, that means what? It's sort of seen as taking off your manness, your masculinity. Yes.
1: Uh, along that same lines, um, anytime the Nazarite gets contaminated, he has to shave it all over yep. start over again. So it's a sign of, you screwed up also. Yeah. <laughs>
0: it, it, or, it, or, or something okay. happened. It, something
1: happened. Yes. So some mistake happened, and here's an example. Okay, a mistake occurred, now we're going to deal with that. So, in the way when Ezekiel uses that, that whole you know, shave you have and cut, it's because God's saying, Israel, you are so contaminated, just like the Nazir, shave it off. Yeah. We're going to cast it away and start again.
0: Yeah, and uh, another sense that it could, could possibly be is that since the, the hair is offered at the end of the Nazarite vow, it is, is, a, is a sense of almost, okay, during the time that we took the vow, this is the growth that sort of happened during it. And you see that in the, in the context of Ezekiel chapter 5, this is like both a disgrace and an example of what your deeds have done. You shave all that off. All of your deeds are now bare. And especially because what are some of the, the, the things that are shown that Ezekiel does with the hair in
2: chapter 5? Burns it. Cuts it. Scatters it. Then what does he do with the rest of it?
0: Seat, he attaches the hair to the corners of his garment. It's so very interesting that you've got this, this picture of these bundles, these locks of hair or strands of hair that are left that are attached to the edges. So it's kind of like you get this example of like uh, the deeds of what you've done, what you are
2: attached to the, to the, the corners of your garments. Yes. Yes, the remnant. Yes, yes. Yep. Very interesting. Yes, Uh, Anne looks like she has a comment over here. I was wondering why are there eight hairs? We'll say eight hairs uh, instead of. I mean, I'm counting my CCs here, and there's only eight. Ah,
0: but then second thing is um, uh, I was thinking of epsilon and how he got caught by his hair. Caught by his hair in the tree, you know, and and if there's some correlation with that part. <laughs> yeah, well, that's that's a longer prophecy about being uh, dangled by the hair and and caught in the tree. So um, yeah, we've actually covered that one a bit there, but you know, it's about. The idea of um, shame, usurpation of the role, Um, various things are are caught up in that particular prophecy. But good observation, because Absalom, what was he known for? The, The big flowing bit of hair. So very interestingly that you've got these connections of hair can be honor or it can be shame, which is very interesting because the Apostle Paul talked a lot about that as well. Hair can be honor, or it can be shame, depending on what sort of message you're trying to get across with what you're doing.
1: When, when did when did it become uh, like a linen uh, string instead of uh, you know a hair, or is there
0: oh, hair a different word? Well, like l- like what we were talking about with the with some of the details on it. That's one of the massive amounts of details that people have talked about over time. For example. You're asking about eight and others. People have uh, struggled with what that number means. The, one of the things is is because, um, speaking of Rashi, Rashi and some of his other contemporaries came up with the, the idea of uh, the gematria of the uh, word tzitzit in Hebrew. And some of them said it adds up to 590, some 600. And then with some other calculations about threads and this and that, you get up to the 613. So um, that's, and then there are others that came in around the same time period who argued with (laughs) his math and whatever, but the important part is what we're going to be getting to in Numbers chapter 15 about what it means. Because, you know, there's other things that people have put on, on top of what Numbers 15 says about meanings and this and that. And again like we've discussed, traditions are great as long as they don't get in the way of what the original meaning is. You can put other lessons on top of it as long as they're compatible and they're kind of teaching in the same direction, but never miss what the original lesson was. So any other uh, comments or questions on that? I'll continue on here with the, with the picture that's uh, Ezekiel giving us. So we... Uh, this um, one of the things that's the re- reason why we went through Ezekiel is because we had previously, at our study, gone through Revelation, and we kept going back to Ezekiel <laughs> as we were going through Revelation and looking at that picture. And uh, there is a great study that uh, Daniel did a while back that we have archived on the site there are comparing Ezekiel's vision of the temple and uh, Yochanan or John's vision of the temple, and how you can you can sort of make the argument that they appeared when they're talking about people, the vision of people measuring the temple, that they almost look like they're looking at each other doing their work in the process. But one of the aspects is you'll see other aspects of the apocalyptic or the things related to the day of the Lord and those lessons coming through in Ezekiel. And one of these things you might recognize in what we just read here. Remember the the vision in chapter 8? Of Ezekiel with the looking like this uh, illustration of fire burning fire well what did you see in the beginning chapters of Revelation what is the depiction of Yeshua that you see there someone burning with fire and then also if you were to compare that with the (laughs) it it talks about the the idol of jealousy when you see later on it um, seems to be perhaps somewhat connected to Tammuz or some other the, the testable things that are happening there. One of the interesting things is that you get also a picture, a contrast with the uh, revelation there in Daniel chapter 2 of the image. So these prophecies that are related to the day of the Lord, um, a lot of them continue to overlap. But moving on a little bit more into the other thing that uh, Rashi brought out, which is. Something kind of interesting is that his other idea of what tzitzit means is something that attracts the gaze. And he pointed to another use of a related term in uh, Song of Solomon or Song of Songs, uh, chapter 2, verse 9. My beloved is like a gazelle or a young stag. Behold, he is standing behind our wall and he is looking through the windows. He is peering or matzitz uh, through the lattice. So tsutz is, a, uh, is a, a kind of corollary uh, verb to um, what is translated as tzitzit. And that idea of Looking or peering. So here you have uh that um looking and peering are you could say homonyms and it is one of the things you see in Hebrew poetry a lot is what they call parallelism. Well you'll have two lines that will be saying similar things or saying contrasting things together, which is helpful for translators because if you come across one word that you really don't know what it means And it's a line that is uh, saying a lot of the same thing as the line above it or below it. Then you can look at what the other word means and say, well, perhaps this means something similar to it. So the other word that's uh, translated there as looking. So you get the idea of looking, and then you have this idea of peering or to look. Now, moving on with this, back to our passage in. Uh, back to our passage in Numbers chapter 15 and Numbers chapter 15 verse 39 says that this will be a tassel for you now what we have uh, for tzitzit we have a Similar word you could say a hebrew synonym which is tzitz Now some lexicons will put this as being the derived meaning or something that uh, tzitzit comes from well one of the things that seats is, uh, so it's sari, yod, sari. One of the ways that that is used throughout the word is for a flower or a blossom. And uh, Complete Word Study Dictionary says that uh, it refers to flowers, petals, blossoms that put forth an almond rod. So when we get to number 17 and we, hit, we get the Aharon's rod that budded and and it talks about that, those buds are um, from the word seats. So thus, that's thought that, well, they could mean like a um, strand, something that hangs down like a lock of hair, or it could come through as a bloom or a flower. So those are two ways it could be looked at. But one of the things that this, uh, if it, you take the meaning of it as a flower or something to look at, that this is something that should attract someone's attention. So just like we saw back in Song of Solomon, you're looking, you're peering. You're, this is something that is attracting your attention. So you're, you're putting your gaze upon it. And in Numbers uh, 15, verse 39, it, it all goes on and says that these shall be a tassel for you to look at. Now, we might think, oh, well, this is just something like a casual glaze. You kind of, oh, oh, look at that. And then kind of go on with your thing. But actually, it is in the command form, which means... It should actually be translated as, you shall look at it. So, it is a direction. It's like, okay, this isn't just decoration. This is something that you put your attention on deliberately. Yes. It's involuntary. Involuntary?
1: If, if you're wandering around, doing your thing, and you have to have them on, and strangers don't even know you, they'll, they'll, they'll glance down. Instinctively, they'll glance at, what is that? and it, 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 It's... It's a command, but God knows human (laughs) nature. But He knows by instinct you'll glance at what is that?
0: Yeah, what's that?
1: It's it's it just it's it's a command, but it's it's involuntary in that fashion. That I mean, people they just can't help they they they, they glance. What is that? It's just odd, odd color, odd. What is that blue thing? It's you glance down. What happens? You glance down.
0: And then moving on further, and uh, the latter part of that verse in Numbers fifteen thirty nine. it says, Remember all the commandments of the Lord so as to do them. And you see this repeated several times when we get over to the book of Devarim or Deuteronomy in chapter 4, chapter 6, chapter 8, and repeated times to the second generation that you are to remember all of these things so that you remember all the sayings of the Lord so that you will do them when you come into the land. Why? Well, we, <laughs> we read about what happens if you start forgetting these things. We read about that in Ezekiel. If you start, start uh, forgetting about these things and then start bringing in various things from the other nations around, mixing it around to a nice spiritual smoothie, well, then you're going to end up with a situation where uh, you will start forgetting. Instead of remembering all the things, you'll start forgetting all the things. So you can't even distinguish what is genuine and what is um, not genuine anymore. And continuing on in verse uh, 39 of Numbers 15, it says, And to not follow after your own heart and your own eyes, after which you played the harlot. Now, the word that is, uh, the Hebrew word that's translated for follow after
2: is the Hebrew word of tur. So, tav, bav, resh tour and totally coincidentally it is a verb that shows up a
0: lot in this particular tour passage that we just read here today would you take a guess um i'll give you a hint it's highly related to what that word tour means in english numbers 13 where the spies took a tour of the land well I guess wasn't like a tour, like you took a nice like a little drive around, but tour means to spy out, to search. And when lexicon puts it, uh, to seek out, spy out to explore, as we have the uh, Brown Driver Briggs lexicon puts it. It's used a lot. And most of the uses that you'll find of it in the Tanakh are in Numbers chapter 13. And you'll also find it here in Numbers chapter 15. So. Here the usage of Numbers fifteen thirty nine says and you will not tour. You'll not tour your own heart. If you're take a tour of your own heart, you won't spy out your own heart and your own eyes after which you played the harlot.
2: So what is it saying there? You're not to explore you know basically uh, follow your heart is how we, we put it here today. Follow your heart.
0: Well, what if your heart doesn't know where it should be going? If you have no idea where it should be going, and you just get any sort of inclination to do whatever you want, well, then you'll just go after it. Any inclination that you have, you'll just start pursuing it. So, the other uses for the word, um, the verb tour, to seek out, to explore, to spy out, are used in Ezekiel chapter 20 verse 6 and actually talking back to the experience that we're reading about now in, in the Torah about this movement out of Mitzrayim headed toward the land. In Ezekiel 20 verse 6, is talking about how the Lord toured the land. He spied out the land to see where it would be good for the people to dwell. And in Deuteronomy Chapter one, verse thirty-three. When Moshe is giving a recounting of the whole journey to the second generation, he's talking about how the Lord toured locations, toured locations where they were going to camp. He spied out these locations. So all these locations that you read about here, be reading about here in the latter book of Bamidbar and Numbers, these locations were previously scouted out. We always talk about with um, in. Movie or film production, you have uh, site scouts, people that will look for locations ahead of time to see what it's like, see what the conditions are, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, see if it's suitable. Well, that is what it's talked about with each of these locations are not happenstance where they just ended the camp. They were previously looked out and spied out. So contrast this. What we see here, we're with the, the prophet Ezekiel looking back to the Exodus. And then you see also with that uh, Moshe, looking back to the first generation of where all the places where they toured, you're getting this picture of like, okay, these spies,
2: they toured, they explored the land, but what did they see? Ten of them saw only bad. Yes, they saw what they wanted to see. They saw, what they, they saw what
0: they wanted to see, and it was only bad. And it was like, all, all the only way that we're going to get into this land is by conflict. And this conflict is going to be on us. And we are not capable of doing it. The walls are too high. The people are too big, etc. Cetera, et cetera. There are too many. We are too few. And on and on and on it goes. But here you
2: had Yehoshua and then you had Caleb. They were saying what? Trust.
0: Have faith. Have faith in the one who brought you out of the land. Who dominated the superpower of the day. Dominated Mitzrayim. Dominated Egypt. Brought Egypt to its knees. Did you do anything about it? No. All you did was have trust in the one who was taking you out. Trust with the 10th plague, putting the blood on the door posts. Trust along the way, trust to go into the sea.
2: Trust to go out the other side. Trust, trust, trust. Keep trusting in the one who brought you out. So what we see
0: here is, when you put this all together with what the instructions we have here in verse 39... This would be a tassel for you. It's a, one way to say it, it's like a bloom, something that attracts your attention, that you're supposed to look at it. You're, this is not just casual glancing. You are supposed to look at it. And this is about a reminder that when you do look at it, what are you going to think? Oh, my goodness, it's dirty. Oh, I guess maybe I should, uh, maybe I should add on to it. Maybe I, maybe I make, the, make them longer next time. They're they're not not dragging the ground yet, or (laughs) certainly not dragging the ground.
2: Yes. Oh, (laughs) yes. 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 Uh, Keep them out of the uh, gaping
0: jaws of your cats or pets. Yes. But one of the things that you're also supposed to do when you're remembering, remember these commands, but then to not tour, to not explore Your own feelings. So on one side you've got the instructions of the Lord. The commands of the Lord. You remember those. But you're also to remember to not follow your heart. In whatever your heart wants to do. Like the Apostle Paul says. You've got to take your thoughts captive. And make them put them into subjection. To the law of Mashiach. So what is the law of Mashiach based on? If you love me. You will keep my commandments. And what were those commandments? You know. As he. Told the adversary, man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So, these instructions, these words, and as he starts out with the Sermon on the Mount, he's like, you know, don't think I came to change the law and the prophets. I did not come to change them, but to fulfill them, to fill them up, to make them in their great completeness. They won't pass away till. Heaven and earth pass away, but these words won't pass away. So those are the things that we are to remember, to instruct our hearts and to educate our hearts, to inform our hearts, to keep control of our hearts, our emotions, the things that we feel driven to do. Are we in control of them or are they in control of us? That We just go off and do whatever we want. So, one of the kind of the key things to also uh, think back on with this uh, picture of the spies and looking out and exploring the land and exploring what is going on in your heart is to also explore what your feelings are about how your your outlook is on life. And today we've got this incredible critical spirit that is going on. It criticizes everything. It looks for the bad in everything. Now, that's not to say that there aren't things that need to improve, because what do we just say? You're not to follow after your heart every sort of inclination. So there's lots of inclinations. You know, Various prophets have talked about this, about the heart of man. Yeshua talks about the heart of man, seeing what's inside of the heart of man and knows that hey, this can go downhill very, very easily. Why? If you don't
1: have control over your heart. Yes. Also, clickonomics, I believe, is the term that makes it go downhill. The, whole, the, 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 uh, uh, the business of making money off the clicks that people do on computers and the more the negative, the bad, the bad, the bad, the more money the recipient gets from the authorship of it and the hosts, the websites. It's it, it feeds that yes. it just feeds that mental thing inside of a person and our own spirit and we continue to drive forward. It's 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 a pervasive, messy, disgusting spiritual flaw or cancer.
0: Yes. That's why we always talk about gossip and slander as to why that is such an incredible uh, cancer on the people of God is because
2: what is that often doing? It is about tearing down rather than building up. So, lastly we'll move on to uh, some of the things that
0: uh, Yeshua talked about. Yeshua warned about wearing tzitzitot, wearing these uh, tassels, wearing the phylacteries or the uh, tefillin but wearing them in a way to be
2: noticed so very interestingly so you're, you're wondering well okay they're supposed to be seen but here he's warning about wearing these things to be seen so that is one of the, <laughs>
0: the key things that's a bit of a knife edge that you, all of us have to walk into we call like uh, following God's instructions versus what is called legalism that could be a knife edge because it is what is going on within your heart at all particular times so the instruction is that you will look at these reminders that you wear around all the time however do not wear them to be looked at with the intent of having that being a status symbol of your connection to God they are a part of your connection to God but your connection to God must supersede this wanting to be seen as having a connection to God and that is why it can be the knife edge between following God's instructions and legalism because what is the tendencies related to legalism. It is pride. pride. It's a big one. Not only pride for what people see you doing, pride for what you see yourself doing, and also pride for what you are telling other people to do and then seeing them do it, and then you feel proud that you got them to do that. Those are things to always watch out for. Yes?
1: For me personally, not for everybody else, which is for me personally. there <laughs> wear a ZT'd all the time. But there was, for a number of months there, my ZZ had broken. And it didn't have any white threads. And so I just, for, I don't know, maybe, I want to say six months or whatever, didn't have any. And so I didn't wear them. And then when the, uh, this past thing was, uh, it was recently, a few weeks back when I wore it, it. It got white thread and we made a new set. I noticed that I feel, I, I noticed a transition of being, because I, I saw wearing them years and years and years ago of being self-conscious again, the fact I had them on when I'm at work and other things, just the everyday life. And I would lost that self-consciousness. because I ignored them on a regular basis when I, years previously, but not had them on for six months or thereabouts. And I would forgotten the fact they weren't on. And then right now, you know, it's not that self-conscious and people, well, I guess in some ways people are looking at that they notice it, but, it's self-conscious for myself as if I'm trying to, 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 to um, I want people, don't bother looking at them you, you focus your attention on me whatever our conversation is whatever the work happens to be the task at hand but there's a self-conscious component that I had long since forgot um, having not had them on for six months it was a strange recollection of I don't know maybe ten years ago when I first started wearing a ZZ it's a strange transition but there is that component of I, because I'm self-conscious about them, I don't. I don't say really want people's attention drawn toward them. <laughs> I, I want them to just, just, just. You, I'm the same person I was before. Ignore, ignore the little strange little. I have a couple of strings attached. Ignore the strings. <laughs> just focus on me. What we're talking about, but uh, that self-conscious component is there, which i would long since forgotten. It's kind of strange. Anyway.
2: Now we talked a bit about uh, the.
0: Messiah's warning there in Matthew 23, verse 5. Moving on to Matthew 14, verses 34 through 36, is the description there about the healing. And we're talking about these crowds that were seeking to, uh, to have healing, and some were grabbing hold of the... talks about the fringes of his garment. Grabbing hold of these. Now, one of the things where that idea... The idea came from that there would be the one who would come to Israel with healing in the corners of his garments, in his wings, the kanaf of his garment. It was from Malachi 4, verse 2. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip like calves from the stall. So that messianic prophecy was to looking forward that there will be the great healer, the healer would come Mashiach would come and healing would come just from even reaching out to touch the hem of his garment. Now end here with this looking forward to the day of the Lord that a time period where the tzitzitot the tassels will become billboards for hope be like a billboard for the lost on the day of the Lord, that they'll be looking for answers, looking for hope, looking for help. And that's found in uh, Zechariah 8, verses 20 through 23. Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the fast of the fourth, the fast of the fifth, the fast of the seventh, and the fast of the tenth months will become joy, gladness, and cheerful feasts for the house of Yehuda. So love, truth, and peace. Thus says the Lord of hosts, It will yet be that peoples will come, even the inhabitants of many cities. The inhabitants of one will go to another, saying, Let us go at once, to entreat the favor of the Lord, and to seek the Lord of hosts. I will also go. So many peoples and many nations will come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In those days ten men from the nations From all the nations will grasp the garment of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. So that's one of those cases where you have a looking forward. Looking forward into the future to the day of the Lord, but also a messianic prophecy. Messianic prophecy, because one of the things we talked about with the, uh, the new covenant prophecy is that in this day there will be, um, that it won't be said, know the Lord, for they will all know, from the least to the greatest. And one of the things that Yeshua said, is recorded there in the Gospel of John, is that one of his great goals was that they would know the Father. That all the world would know the Father. And in one case, you saw to one of the apostles, Yeshua said, you know, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. You get the the direct image, the representation of heaven. Heaven's word become flesh, as is described there in Hebrews chapter 1. So with this, we have a preview of that, with the masses grabbing hold on to the tzitzit. Of one Jew. One emblematic. Son of man. One emblematic the son. Of man. For healing. For closeness. We've heard that God's with you. And then looking on to the future. Where there will be people that will be coming. To the center. The place where the Lord puts his name. To grab on to. To the one who knows, the one who has a closeness with the Lord. Hey, we've heard that God's with you. So for us today, one of our great messages that we have in instructions in this particular passage is that, you know, are we guarding and guiding our hearts by the things that the Lord has instructed? And in the process, thus people will know Who the Lord is by what we do. And the things that we do will point people to the Lord. So that's one of the the great lessons that we have. From this lesson here of the tzitzitok. These blooms.
2: These signs. Any last uh, thoughts as we close out things here today? All right. Well we'll close things out
0: here with prayer today. Father God, we thank you and praise you for giving us your words and for giving us your servants. Father, we just ask that you help us to be your servants in the world, that people will know you better
2: by what you work through us, that you will guard our hearts and change our hearts by the things that you've taught us.
0: Father, we thank you for the mercy you give us we thank you for covering over our sins, transgressions, and iniquities through the blood of your Son, Yeshua. We thank you in his name. Amen.
2: You've been listening to a discussion at Hallel
0: Fellowship. If you would like to hear more discussions, or if you have any questions, visit the website at hallel.info. That's halle dot I-N-F-O. Halel.info.